What's going on with Lamar Jackson and OTAs? We talk about that and more next year on Locked On Ravens with a very special guest. You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we've returned here with another episode of Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravens Wire. Of course, we're here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Ravens your first listen today. We're free and available on all platforms. And here on this Purple Friday edition episode is our Purple Friday guest here with us once again to talk about a lot of different topics here. Former Super Bowl champion and Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Kadri Ismail Q. The Ravens making moves, OTAs in full swing. How you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, when you talk about an off-season of topics and interesting, you know, twists and turns, uh, we, we now are in the, the part where you can actually tangibly, you know, touch, chew, spit out, swallow, whatever you want to do, some real good football nuggets. Yeah, and it's great because I know, Q, we were talking a bit about a couple weeks ago what this team should do next, and we talked about the cornerback position a little bit. We talked about Joe Hayden and a couple other guys, but the Ravens making a move earlier this week and signing Kyle Fuller, which, I mean, I think personally is great because of his inside-outside versatility, a veteran in that room. We were kind of wondering what's behind Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. It's a little bit of younger guys like Brandon Stevens or Darius Washington. Kyle Fuller now comes into this team, a 30-year-old guy, Pro Bowler, first team all pro. I mean, he has the experience, he has the accolades, struggled a bit in Denver, but what were your thoughts on that signing when it happened? I think the word D-E-P-T-H, depth, comes to mind. This is all about your ability to hedge your bets. You know that you have your two starting guys, they're injured. The type of injury is one where you're not going to be back at full speed right away. It's going to be an adjustment period. That adjustment period typically takes more than just a calendar year. Uh, yes, there's some advancements in, in treatment, but the training still remains as far as your heels down, which you don't want to do. You don't want to have that linear type of movement. But with all that said, I think with Fuller in the mix, it gives the Ravens a little bit more of a cushion uh, to hold out both uh, Marlin as well as, you know, sit back and, and examine the rest of the, the squad. You know, uh, is this going to be a case where, yeah, you can put them out there and, and they feel really good? Um, sure, Marcus Peters, I know he's talked about, you know, he's going to do what was best for Marcus Peters when it comes to getting back out in the field and feeling healthy. So this is the little cushion and you don't necessarily have to totally rely on young players out there and, and making mistakes. Right. And it's so great because now, I mean, the, the name of the game is health for this Ravens secondary. It has been for a really long time. And we saw last season how they were having to call up guys from the practice squad, play guys 
four, five, six spots up on the depth chart because they were just losing guys left and right in their secondary. But now, Q, you look at the top six guys in the secondary, the top three corners are Humphrey Peters and Fuller at safety. You have Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams, Chuck Clark in there as well. I mean, you talk about star power and depth combined into one there. It seems pretty good for what they have right now, and it seems like they have reshaped this secondary into what really – I think is automatically a top 10 unit on paper at this point. But I mean, how confident are you going into this year with the players they have, as opposed to last season with the players they had then? I really liked what their secondary looked like last year, you know, before all the injuries. So on paper, Marcus Peters, uh, Marlon Humphreys, you know, you got to remember too, before I continue that train of thought, Marlon was, trending into the Howard Brown of being top three, top five uh, corners slash defensive players in the league the year prior. Uh, his mindset was, I'm going to knock the ball out of your hands. It was fruit punch. You know, it was it was like, yo, this guy is, is just really doing something special. Now, last year, yeah, going into the season, I thought that they were going to trend up and get even better. Marcus Peters is just such an incredibly savvy player. And with all that, the injury bug happened. The depth was tested, and you had to get practice squad guys. You had to go way down the depth chart and just sign guys literally off the street and hope that they were in shape and they'd be ready to go. So give me a fuller. Give me a guy who – you know, looks the part, draft a Hamilton, get a Williams, you know, have a Chuck Clark, you know, store up on some veteran players that you feel can do the job, do it effectively. And in all of that, I think that's where you can't necessarily take it for granted and just automatically say, oh, well, they're the best. and That's cool. Sure, on paper, but you don't play football on paper. You play it on the field. It's about, you know, managing your risks. And if they can stay healthy, sure, no question that they are a bona fide top three style secondary, but there's so much more left to be done before we go ahead and anoint them. Right. And I think a lot of people have already put the star crown on Kyle Hamilton and they say, well, he's an NFL star. And I said, well, he hasn't taken a snap yet. I mean, I think he's going to be there by the end of his first season, but you kind of have to wait a little bit and say, well, let's let him get that first snap, that first tackle, that first, whatever it may be. So this team, I think on paper, you're exactly right. Q top three secondary for sure. And when looking at just what they have, they have to stay healthy. Obviously, that's, again, a very big key for them overall. But part of that is if they do suffer some injuries, I think they have the depth at this point to sustain some of it. Now, if it goes the way of 2021, I don't think any team can prepare for just what that was and just having to play all those guys. But you look at players like Tony Jefferson and Geno Stone and Brandon Stevens, Darius Washington, Jalen Amore Davis. How confident are you in that depth where if Marcus Peters has to be kind of eased back into action a little bit or if another one of those star players misses some time, they can recover from that and still have a very good secondary? Yeah, you know, I, I think stars are stars. You know, starters are starters. Those guys, they they literally, from the bigger picture of it all, are you know playing. They, they you get paid the big bucks for a reason. You know, it's it's your consistency, and you know, not saying that you know Fuller isn't the guy. I know he struggled a little bit in Denver, and being a pros pro, he you know 
didn't let that affect him. He came back and came back strong. But I think one thing we got to remember is that what have you done for me lately? You can't necessarily just look at paper and uh, look at on, on you know, you're resting on your laurels of what you did in the previous year. It's about what you're doing now. And it's about what you can expect to week to week look at improvement. That's that's just that's the stone cold reality of life in the NFL. I think it makes it an exciting game. I think that, you know, the Ravens, in fact, do have quality depth, but let's not get it tested and let it be a scenario where you can go through the season and feel really good and and see whether or not you can actually win it. So when I say win it, I'm talking about like, yeah, be that that number one passing defense as opposed to the last place passing defense. Right. I think I think a big turnaround's in store, but you got you got to be able to put it together on the field. And for all these guys, you're thinking of you talking about what have you done for me now lately? I mean, Marlon Humphrey missed the end of the season last year. Marcus Peters missed the entire year. Kyle Fuller, you mentioned his struggles there. So I think all three of those guys can bounce back in this system. Mike McDonald, I think, is going to be a very fresh, a nice refreshing thing for the defense for sure. But Q, you mentioned the depth. Do you feel like the Ravens are done? I mean, it feels to me like they have a lot at corner, a lot at safety, but would you play it safe if you were that maybe add another veteran? Or do you think that they are just going to go into this year with what they have right now? And then if injuries happen, they react to it then. So it's interesting because if you're good at your craft, if you're good at what you do and you really understand uh, putting together a team, you can prepare all you want, but there's going to be something that you're just not ready for. And I, th- I think, you know, Eric DaCosta learned it the hard way last year. Um, and so be it. It looks like they're going to be, you know, a, a, a team that's going to be reckoned to reckon with. I think, you know, overall, you know, this is a ball club that when healthy, they can, they can make teams, you know, look silly. Wink Martindale is no longer here, but, you know, Mike McDonald learned underneath him. He was mentored by him. So I think this defense, yeah, is it's one that can be scary. I liked how um, you had uh, uh, Marlon talking about the 2000 Ravens defense and his presser, and, you know, it was interesting because he's like, you know, I really didn't know, and I had to go back and do some research on that defense, and that's something that, you know, I look back on. The game has definitely changed, but from an injury standpoint, we we were blessed with – very low injuries, and the main thing was the main thing. That defense was historic and dominant. And I think if they can put themselves in this position, I know turnovers has been, you know, the big talking point, creating more turnovers. Um, You know, that's something that I think uh, just the bigger picture of it all, so far on paper, you got who you got. Maybe, you, you know, keep your eye out type of thing. But uh, so far, all signs are pointing to um, two thumbs up. Everything is all, all copacetic. Yeah, and can you give me a nice segue into the third segment there with that 2000s defense, how you're talking about that. We'll talk about that 2000s team in the final segment. I'm excited to get into that with you. But we still have a ton to talk about here on Locked On Ravens coming up. We'll be talking about the Lamar Jackson situation and OTAs and the trains of thought that have come out from that and more surrounding OTAs as well. So be sure to stay tuned. Still a ton to talk about. First, though, I do want to tell you about our next partner who has a product that I use a ton, and I started taking AG1 because I do value my health 
health. I want more energy. And also getting an optimized immune system doesn't hurt as well. So what's in this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And it's also lifestyle-friendly. So whether you're eating vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free, it has stuff for you. It also contains less than one gram of sugar, so no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while also still tasting really, really good. And tons of people take some kind of multivitamin anyway. I think multivitamins are important. AG1, it's a small micro habit with big benefits as well as one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It is one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens are going to give you one free year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NFL network to take ownership over your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We're back here. Our second segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Ostriker still here with Kadri Ismael. And Q, there's been a lot of conversations surrounding Lamar Jackson over the course of his career. And we have another thing to talk about in terms of him and OTAs. Now, he's shown up at OTAs, but not this year so far. It was you know, reported and made known that during Wednesday's open media session that he was not there, along with other veterans as well. And the whole, the whole train of thought here surrounding OTAs, there are a couple of them, Q. One is the fact that, look, OTAs are voluntary, and guys don't have to show up. It's not mandatory they show up. But the other part of this is people do think that, look, Lamar Jackson is a leader on this team. He's the quarterback. There are new weapons for him. You know, Rashad Bateman and Lamar Jackson didn't have a ton of time to get acclimated together on the field. And, look, they worked out together during the offseason, but there's a new center with Tyler Linderbaum. So where are you in this whole situation, Q, in terms of, what you think this whole situation is with Lamar Jackson and him not being there at OTAs right now. Yeah, Kevin, I, I think you you bring up so many good points. Chemistry, uh, development, leadership, you know, the the ability to uh, work on your game, work on your craft with, you know, now you got a little bit more competition. So it's not just routes on air and you catching everything and making it smooth. You're making every throw, making it smooth. You're going up against – you know, some of those guys that are, are hungry and, and wanting to make the ball club. Uh, so they want to get an interception off of Lamar. They want to look like they're okay and they are deserving of being on the football team. So that competition really enhances things, if you will, when it comes to bettering your, your mental capability of knowing what you can or cannot do. So it's interesting because with John, with – um, Eric, even Steve Bashotti, their their attitudes have been very over the top, positive and and communicative, and I think this is a little bit surprising in some regards to them, because you could see where he, you know John Harbaugh, when asked about him in his absence, he quickly and not necessarily in a rude way, but in the John Harbaugh, I'm not talking about it way. He was like, listen. Here's the deal. We have a situation where Mars not here. You're going to have to ask him about it. And so it's like, oh, that's new. So there's a shift. I'll bet a tiny one. You don't read too, too much into it. But clearly, yeah, Lamar Jackson is missing in the offense. Right. And, and for me, like, do I think he should be there? Yeah. Like it would be great if he was there and working with his teammates and everything. And, you know, maybe he, he shows up next week or shows up because we still have a couple more weeks to go of OTAs for the Ravens. But do I know part of the things that people have been talking about is the fact that, look, again, it is voluntary. I personally am not going to necessarily 
rag and rag and rag on him for this decision because at the end of the day, like, you know, he has the option to go or not to go. And I'm, I'm going to respect that decision that he makes because it's not like he's holding out from training camp. Marlon Humphrey said, you know, if it was training camp, it would be bad, which yes, agreed. But at the same time, this is voluntary. But yeah, would you like him to be there? Of course. But part of it, Q, is the fact that I think Lamar Jackson is not a 15-year veteran here. We're talking about now going into his fifth season. So for Clayus Campbell, for example, who has been in this league for 10-plus years and everything, it makes a little more sense. But people have said, well, Lamar Jackson isn't in his 15th season. Is, is that part of this for you where you're thinking, well, when you're talking about veterans, 5 versus 15 is pretty different here? Oh, God, it's majorly significant. And it does matter if he's here. I'm telling you, leadership at the quarterback position, you're not giving him upwards of 50-plus million, 60, 70 million, just because, you know, you're a nice guy and all that. You, The mantle is, is it's a heavy one. And showing up, you got to show up and, and be ready. Like, this is, this is who, you know, you are as a quarterback and your responsibility and, if you don't take that responsibility, you know, the way it needs to be, then you're going to put yourself in trouble. And I think there's a lot that we don't know also, Q, where is this just a situation where he's saying, well, you know what, I'll just show up next week and it'll be fine. Or is, is there something else going on? Is he is he sick? Is there something personal? You know, there, well, there hasn't been any, anything released about it, so we just don't know. But I think also when talking about just veterans not showing up, versus younger guys not showing up. I mean, we all know how hard of a work with Lamar Jackson is. And, you know, Mark Andrews talked about that when he was asked about it. He, and it's, it's not like he's been sitting around all offseason and, and doing nothing and just saying, ah, oh, well, I'll show up at training camp and not do anything for four or five months. I mean, he did work with the shop Bateman, working with his teammates. But it is interesting because he did talk about how it's important for him to get reps with his teammates and, you know, kind of get together with guys during the offseason. I mean, you've kind of talked about it a bit, but could you go into more detail about just really how important that is in a off-field kind of off-season setting versus the OTA training camp setting with the team? Yeah, so the off-season, you know, you're going to go through your group of plays. You're going to talk about, you know, what's new, what's the new wrinkles to your your play. And, and then it's about – getting on the same page with your your guy, Tyler Lindenbaum. Obviously, when you look at the way in which running back mesh point, it's way different when they're in the pistol compared to the gun or under center. So those are some things that you want to look at and, and figure out. Um, the chemistry is always going to be a work in progress, but you can get a lot done and feel pretty good about yourself if you're a receiver catching passes from Lamar you know, it will make it easier from an evaluation standpoint of who do you have and potentially do you have a bust compared to a guy that's like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. And he's deserving of a contract um, to make the team and all that 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 entails. You know, so there's way more um, negative of him not being here than sweeping it under the rug and being neutral with Lamar not being here. And it is, it is voluntary with a wink. Wink of the eye. Okay, you can not show up right. Watch what happens. Yeah, I think that when looking at the importance of, I just think a lot of, like this is an offense that has experienced a bit of a bit of turnover you know Marquise Brown is no longer there there is a new center I, I'm not gonna say that Lamar Jackson's 
a, a bad leader because of this and just say, well, now that he's not showing up for a couple OTAs, he's, he's just this terrible lead. No, that's not what it is for me. Again, it is voluntary. I think that, yeah, would the team like him there? Of course they'd like him there, right? It's, it's big and important. I think he, again, as I've said, should be there. But again, it is voluntary. And Sashi Brown, the Ravens president, kind of echoed some of the things where he said that he has shown during the offseason he works. And he has shown during the offseason that he is someone who wants to get better and work hard and has shown his commitment to Baltimore and everything. So, th- And that is all true. I think all of that is true about Lamar Jackson. But it is a very interesting situation because, again, I, I just go back to the comments and kind of talk about, well, you know, you're, you're looking at just what it could be for him and working out with his teammates on the field at the facility versus in the offseason. I think it is a little different. So should he be there? I mean, yeah, probably. Right. I think it'd be great. But at the same time, you keep going back to the word voluntary and talking about, well, it is his decision. And since it is his decision, I'm going to respect his decision, even though I know that, again, the team would probably want him there. But we'll head into our final break here. On Locked On Ravens, we'll get into the Ravens 2000 team that Q was a part of and talk about a bit of memory lane there. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We'll be right back here on Locked On Ravens. We're back here with our final segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Allshaker still here with Kadri, Ismael, and Q. The Ravens, they, they never stay out of the news, whether it's current teams, former teams. The Ravens 2000 team, though, was one that will go down in history forever. It already has gone down in history. You were a part of that team. You had your big moments during that season, during that playoff run, during that Super Bowl queue. And there's been a lot. The Ravens had a celebration, a tribute to that team during this week. They also, there's going to be a documentary made about them as well. But I want to just, just go down memory lane with you, talk a bit about just what that team was and your experience with it. I mean, what was the aura surrounding that team? I mean, it was a team that, especially during the playoffs and the Super Bowl, pure domination. But but that defense was one that's going down in history is one of the greatest of all time, and it'll stay there. So, I mean, what was the aura surrounding that team for the entire season, and of course, during that run? More than anything, Fred Taylor, Jerome Bettis, Corey Dillon, Eddie George. That's a murderer's row of running backs in your division, and your defense held that group that you play twice to less than a 1,000 yards rushing. When you think about it that way, my God, man, you talk about assignment football, flying around, making plays. That is the epitome of making plays when you talk about the 2000 Ravens defense. And it really is when looking also, Q, I mean, what was it like playing for, for Brian Billick for that year? I mean, a player that yeah. I mean, for you as a player, someone who you just you see all the, the, the viral speeches during the playoffs, the Titans speech that came out after that tribute and just everything that he did as a leader. What was it? What was it like playing for him and kind of having that fiery coach there? So the thing is, is I actually already knew Brian when he was in Minnesota. He was actually a quality control guy and an assistant tight ends coach. So even the tight ends, I mean, they just had veteran savvy. They knew what was what led by Steve Jordan. So I was like, ah, yeah, okay. It was this, you know, young, nerdy looking head coach or not head coach, but position coach. But I think once he took over his office of coordinator and once you started to see his rhythm of calling plays, the creativity of his offense and uh, what he wanted to see and his vision. Uh, but then also the biggest thing I think is, just the how he trained uh, throughout the practice weekend 
not wearing guys down and, and being in position to uh, help each other out. Um, treat you like a pro, treat you like a man, you know, not like some college kid who's still trying to figure out life, you know, treat them like you want to be treated. No curfew. It was because he knew as wild as we were, we were going to be dependable. So I think ultimately when you look at, you know, Brian, Brian was just a genius to be able to mold his uh, philosophy to what was going to help his team win. He wasn't a guy that was going to just sit there and say, listen, I'm going to throw the ball around. I'm going to ignore the personnel on my team. I give him credit, tremendous amount of credit for putting away his ego and allowing to do what was best for the team and changing quarterbacks midway through the season, all that. But ultimately it ended in Tampa and hoisting up the Lombardi. Yeah, and I mean, I give him a lot of credit for what he was able to do during that year. And obviously, you mentioned it did end in Tampa. And I want to, what was that week like for you? The, the festivities leading up to the game and just the practices. I mean, what what was the aura surrounding that? And just you know, being in the Super Bowl, being in the big game, and prepping for it. So it was really interesting. I thought um, when we you know got the playoff nod, uh, he literally went through the entire itinerary and circled and win the Super Bowl. Um, that's impressive. That's ballsy. That's that's confidence. That's swagger. Um, whatever other expletive you want to put on there or superlative you want to put on there, so be it. Um, but the bottom line, the dude just knew how to push the right buttons to put us in position to win. You know, and, and he was just as crazy and confident as we were. Um I just love the way Brian, you know, carried himself. And uh, I think, you know, it's interesting because he is such a, a, a good, strong-minded uh, um, coach that, uh, you know, you look at some of the guys in the coaching carousel nowadays, and I'm like, man, I wonder how they would have done had they been, you know, a part of, you know, this legendary team and, and coaching them. You know, I think, uh, you know, he was able to have some major uh, – players slash also coaches um jack del rio was my teammate in minnesota he came aboard the same time i came aboard um and you could just see where it was like a, a stress relief off of his chest from a coaching standpoint to know that he was in the right place and and that's that's brian billick you know you gotta respect that that's brian and and what he is and what he likes to do and the bottom line is I'm hoisting up a Lombardi and I also got this fat ring that signifies that I was world champion. I was the best around for that time frame. And it's funny because I wanted to ask you next about if there was a moment in the game in the Super Bowl when you knew, when you thought to yourself, oh, yeah, like this is over. And I know, you know, you're going into that game with confidence, obviously, but was there a particular play, a particular sequence where right after you thought, oh, yeah, you know, we're winning the Super Bowl here? Yeah, probably their kickoff return, um, you know, taking it to – was it kickoff or punt return? What? I think it was a kickoff return because Jermaine – gets it, and then he goes ahead and returns it again. But I thought that, you know, the holding call before my 44-yard play, longest play in Super Bowl 35 from scrimmage. That's a little bit of trivia for you. Uh, but I, I, I wonder, you know, from a, a standpoint of 
what would have happened if the referee didn't call pass interference on the linebacker against Jamal? Um, that would have totally shifted and turned the game around as far as the interception and turnover and, and all that. Instead, it turned into a third and I think it was, I don't know, five or something, some fish story. Maybe it was third and three. Who knows? But the bottom line was I was one-on-one backside. Trent and I, we scored in the uh, one game against the Tennessee Titans and Adelphia Coliseum. So I had an inkling that he was going to throw me the ball. He did. He caught it. Um, we, we, we dodged a huge bullet. We get three on the board there. And then, of course, like I said, the kickoff return, Dixon, you know, the fact that he returned it was sweet. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, talk about even sweet her when Jermaine, like I, I'm, I'm one of those guys, like I, I'm trying to blow out a team. Who cares about, you know, the entertainment? I don't care. I'm trying to go ahead and win and be done. Uh, so <laughs> that's my, my thought on it. But at the same time, yeah, uh, what a good, incredible chemistry that we had with one another. And, and ultimately, it showed up as far as going through the year and feeling very confident regardless of the numbers and, and what everybody else on the outside thought. Right. And you build that chemistry throughout the year for those moments and for those big moments in the big game. And you, you mean, talk about momentum shifts. You, you fast forward to the Ravens' next Super Bowl appearance and the lights go out after the Ravens were dominating and dominating. And all of a sudden, things slow down a little bit. The game becomes really close. And obviously, you have owed uh, Sam Cook again, the safety in the end zone, the Ravens secure that victory. So yeah, a, a ton with that 2000 scenes will be remembered for a very long time. And Q, I mean, hey, you were a very big part of it. So your name, obviously, down in history as well. But a ton to talk about, of course, here always today. Q, thank you so much for joining me here again. Kyle Fuller, Lamar Jackson, 2000 Super Bowl. This one was a blast. I'm, I'm telling you right now, like I look back on that time and what I greatly appreciate about it I have my experiences, but there are so many fans that look back on, you know, the 2000 team and some fans who are as young as you are, you know, they look at it through the lens of the highlight videotapes that their parents showed them. So it's really special and cool to hear other perspectives of that that magical year. Yeah, a, ma a magical year it was. I mean, Baltimore's first championship is so so few years into their obviously their creation as a franchise, and to have that Lombardi Trophy already in the building just a couple years after that was an incredible thing. And the Ravens have two; they'll be going for a third. They'll be building up to that hopefully this season. But you, thanks again so much. That's all I have for you here today on Locked On Ravens. We're gonna take a two-day break. Coming up back here on Monday, we'll be diving into more Ravens talk. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and I will see you on Monday.